We're be, uh, between series. We have um, finished the book of John. And a lot of times what I do between series is sometimes I just hit on different things that I feel like are important, things that I feel like are timely for us. And uh, today I, I, I entitled this Family Matters. And the reason I'm saying this is, is because we are uh, experiencing significant growth in our nursery and in our, our, our children's classes. And uh, yeah, this is biological church growth. Um, Hooray for babies. Yes. <laughs> I have five of them. I wasn't always that thrilled, but that, most of the time, yes. Um, so anyways, something that you know, comes up a lot of times is people talk about marriage and family relationships. People talk about uh, relationships within the family with children. And I want to talk about something specific. It's, uh, scripture brings this out in a powerful way in uh, Genesis chapter 25, verses 24 through 27. And we're going to talk about we're going to talk about raising kids, but I want to tell you something. This goes way beyond that. This goes into interpersonal relationships, how important certain things are in interpersonal relationships. It, it work, it, 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 at work, this is stuff, this is God's, you know, some of the principles from God's word, and they work. They work in all situations. They work. But they, in this, we want to talk about kids because this is kind of what that passage is about. Having a marriage that's built on a foundation that honors God being able to flourish as a family. And I am no expert, I want to tell you. But after 42, we're almost celebrating our 42nd wedding anniversary, and there are maybe some ideas that I can share with you on how not to do things, all right? Um, and this area of marriage and family relationship, no area in your life can be so awesome or can be so painful. This is it. This is it. And so what does God say? And one of the longest passages on a particular family in Scripture is the story of Isaac and Rebekah and their sons Esau and Jacob. And unfortunately, it is a story of how to mess up a family. And this story is how not to do it. There's all sorts of wrong things, and we're going to contrast that with the things that we think are the right things to do. But, but, you know, we always say, everybody's welcome, Nobody's perfect, and anything is possible when God is involved. That applies here. God comes through in the end and brings healing, and he brings, uh, brings back a family that was separated in a horrible way. So we're going to read this scripture. This is Genesis 25, 24, uh, ver chapter 25, verses 24 through 27. When the time came for her to have birth, there, was, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Now, let me just say, this is a free one. This isn't one of the ones that's in. Esau means hairy. If you're going to name your child, maybe after a defining feature like that is not such a great idea. You know, our sweet little furball. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, you know, a child has a nose, and oh, well, let's name him Proboscis, right? Let's name him after a nose. So after this, his brother came out with a hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. And Jacob means the one who grasps, the grabber. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skilled hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents, all right? So I'm going to talk this morning. I got a really catchy thing, three easy ways to ruining a family. 
all right? Three easy steps for ruining a family. And the first one is, is, is play favorites. And let me just, this to me is one of the saddest, most heartbreaking verses of the Bible. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And you see already what's been set up. You see already what, we, as the story unfolded, we can almost, you could see it even if you didn't know what the story was. Because if you want to mess a family up, start to play favorites. Pick one over another. Compare and contrast. Now, this, again, this works everywhere. Do this at work. What will happen? People will notice. People will notice, and it will cause problems. But in a home, love one and not as much the other, or withhold affection from the other. And you can inflict wounds that will last for a lifetime. And I want to tell you this, I'm not, not dumb enough to not realize that there are tons of people, plenty of people in this room that go, yes, I know what you're talking about. And the wounds last for a lifetime. This can be a hard thing, and I know for some of you this may be a hard thing. Because you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because Esau... You know, in, like in our, maybe like in our culture, he would be, we'd be, he'd be an athlete. He was a hunter. He was skilled, quick reflexes and a keen eye. He was a, a man of the open country. Courageous and strong is what we think about in that. He played all the sports. He was always the first one chosen at the playground. I mean, this is kind of the idea we're getting. And I know I'm embellishing it some, but I think we can see what's going on here. He fed his dad's ego because that's what his dad loved. And this can happen, man, this can happen in a household so easily. I had five kids and they all were accomplished in different areas. And everybody, everyone here, your, your children are accomplished in different areas. I had some children that did really well in athletics. I had some children that did well in, in, in drama and the arts. In one of the things we tried to do, and I'm going to be, I blew it plenty of times, is we tried to celebrate each one of them for what they could do, what they were accomplishing, what they're, just to celebrate that in them. And then Isaac would look at his other son, Jacob. The one who stayed was quiet and stayed among the tents. Almost thinking hard to believe this kid came from the same womb. Why don't you be like your brother? Why don't you be like your brother? And, and we know those wounds. I mean, I, I shared with you just recently, coming home with a report card, and I had a middle brother who was whip smart and always got A's. And he would just come in. Here's the favorite. Everyone loves me, right? And here comes in. C's, a couple of B minuses, and a couple of D's, right? And my parents worked at that. I, I, they did, but still, man, I can still remember the smiles looking at A's. And uh, um, I just was mediocre, and it wasn't, I just was lazy. And finally, when I went to graduate school, I was married, and my wife said, you get anything lower than a B, I'm quitting my job. I'm not working to put you through lazy school. I made the honor roll. 
One of my professors one time just said, tell me something about yourself. I said, okay, I'll tell you something about myself. If I get lower than a B in this class, my wife's going to quit her job and I'll have to drop out of school. No worries. Just think about it, right? Yeah. And, and, and here we go. We have two kids. They're totally different. They're totally different. Why can't you be like your brother? Why? Because he's not like his brother. He didn't get chosen first. He got chosen last. And so he decided this is the safer place. They each went to where they felt safe. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And you know what happens in these kind of situations. Look, 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 look at Rebekah. She starts to compensate. You know this happens. You want to mess up a family member, then do what these two parents did. Just play favorites and direct love more one way than another. You know, the three laws of real estate, they say are location, location, location. The three laws of relationships are observation, observation, observation. Watch this person. Know this person. Figure out what they're like. Figure out where they're strong. What are they like? What are they afraid of? What are they really good at? What gives them life? It was, it was when my daughter Holly had cancer and she lost a lung and then she wanted to, she always loved singing and she wanted to keep singing. And, and um, I remember she went out for the Minchville choir and she made it and she came home and her eyes, like they, it lit her up. It lit her up. This is what lights her up. And that's the thing. Find out what are they good at? What gives them life? What are they drawn to? Parents, man, instead of trying to mold them into what you want them to be, try to mold them into the person God wants them to be and honor that, honor that. And, and when my, our kids were mostly young, you know, I had all these ideas, I had all these desires on how I would shape them. And I found out that really a lot of it was built into them. I wasn't shaping them. I had much less influence than I thought. One time, I, uh, I remember going into one of my kids' rooms, one of my girls, and sitting down at the edge of her bed, and I just said, I love you so much. They're getting ready to go to sleep. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad God chose me to be your dad. And I'm so thankful that you're my child. And she said, I love you, Daddy. You're the best daddy ever. And I walked out of that room going, yeah, boy. I got this dad thing down pat. Yeah, I could write a book. I'll write a book on child rearing. That's what I'll do. Look how good I am. So I'm like, man, I'll go into my son's room. I said, buddy, man, I love you. I'm so glad God chose me to be your daddy. And I'm so glad that you're my son. And he said, daddy, what's that red thing on your cheek? That's, uh, what is that? And I'm like, great. Now I got to teach him about zits, right? It was like, I thought, I got this dad thing down. It was just like, God's like, I'm going to bring you down. Here it is. You know, <laughs> what is that? We think we got it. But my, dad, my, my job as a dad, your job as a dad, as a mom, is not to engineer moments that make you feel good. That's not what this is about. Your job is to watch each child and learn about them, to Disciple and discipline them, coach them, celebrate the person that God made them to be. Not trying to have this little 
alter ego that's like you. Not trying to have this kid that was able to, all the stuff you thought you could have done, you know, this kid can do and do much better than you and you kind of live through them. That's the worst thing we can do as parents is live through our kids. And unfortunately, all kids, they're different. And it, and it, it staggers me sometimes how careless people can get with this. I'll hear parents speak about their children in ways that are negative, almost disown them, you know, saying, well, Mike, here's our different one. Or Vic here's just not an athlete like his brothers. We don't know where we got Sarah. Different phrases like that. That's the kind of thing. When we say it in a jesting tone, you know, we kind of like, but, but I'm telling you what, the message to that child is clear. We don't know where we got him because he's different. That's what's coming up. That's what they get out of that. He's not an athlete like his brothers, so he's less. That's what happens. And if your name is Mike or Vic or Sarah, I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to specifically single you out. But what happens? What do we say? We're saying this child is a bit of a disappointment. This child doesn't make me feel like a winner. That's what we're saying. And parents, you've got to express affection and appreciation on a regular basis. I mean, I know it's simple. I know this isn't like you're going, what? I should tell them I love them? Yes, obviously, we know that. But it's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes. As a parent, my job is not to fill up my neediness through my child. Only God can do that. My job is to build up this child. And this is a story where a couple of sons didn't get from one of their parents what they desperately needed to hear. So as we move on, three easy steps for ruining a family. Number one, play favorites. Number two, allow deceit in the home. Now, we've moved along now. Family's much older. Isaac is very old, basically blind. And he calls his favorite son to him. He says, now then, to Esau, get your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out in the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, so the scene here, he, he, he's on his deathbed. He's, he's, they know it's coming. Death is near. And it's time for the blessing. Now, this is a huge deal, all right? This is like the will. This is, this is incredibly, and usually, usually when a blessing was given, everybody got a part. Okay, this is a patriarchal society. I don't endorse it, but all the boys got a part of the blessing, all right? So it doesn't, it's not like uh, with, with Jacob, he's not gonna get anything. That's what it seems like. But what's happening here is the blessing has to happen in the presence of both boys, unless you're only going to bless one and give it all to him. And he says, go get me the food I want and I'm going to give you. He doesn't say, I'm going to perform the blessing. I'm going to bless you and your brother. He says, I'm going to give you the blessing. And so he's doing something that would be unthinkable. He's going to shut Jacob out. He doesn't tell Rebecca. This is just between him and Esau. And she hears, she's eavesdropping. She's, she's not 
uh, this is another thing you want to ruin. Don't respect privacy issues. But at this point, she's listening. And she, she could have made a choice. This is the hard choice. She could have walked into the room and said, hey, I just heard what you said. That's not right. That's not right. Or she could devise a plan to steal the blessing. And that's what she did. There's this incredible lack of communication between Rebecca and Isaac. There's favoritism, there's misguided love, there's manipulation. It's killing this family and they never talk about it. They see it happening. It's like the elephant in the room and they don't talk about it. In your marriage today, is there an elephant in the room that you're not gonna talk about? You don't wanna talk about, you gotta talk about it. You gotta talk about it. And so basically she goes to Jacob and she says, let's deceive your father. Go kill a couple goats and I'll make some of that goat burger casserole that he loves so much. And you can give it to him pretending that you are Esau and then you will get Esau's blessing. And how does Jacob respond? He could say, mom, no, that's deceptive. No, what does he say? He says, mom, he's hairy, I'm not. How am I gonna deceive him with that? And so she has this plan. She's gonna use fur. She's gonna, and he's almost dead and he's blind. And she, she's like, he's not gonna know the difference. And so he's, she's got this plan. It's like, it's like a movie. This would be a great, you know, he, he'll get the blessing and he has to do it quickly before his brother comes back or it'll blow it. And so they do it. And he went to his father, Jacob went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I am, I'm Esau, your firstborn, Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. So here's the deception. And there's certain things in this deception that kind of leak out in some ways. I feel like you can see the poison that's leaking out in his life and how he talks. He says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Is there any doubt who Esau is? No, you can see with Jacob, I'm Esau, the first one, the one you love. You can just see it in him. The first one, because that's what he thinks. That's what counts. I can imagine that he could feel like your eyes never light up for me. But they do when I say, Esau, your firstborn. Inside the heart of every child is this deep, deep need to know that they can make their parents' eyes light up. They can make their mom's eyes light up, their dad's eyes light up. And he, you can see, is leaking bitterness. You ever met someone who's like that? You just sense after a while that something is upsetting them and it just leaks out. So the next part is very dramatic. Esau is undone. Isaac gives the blessing to Jacob and then Esau comes in afterwards. And Esau pleads with him, not one blessing left for me? Oh, my father blessed me too. And then Esau broke down and wept. And his dad tells him, I blessed your brother. I did it all in one. I ruined it. And so he's totally upset. And the irony of deceit here is that Isaac sets out with this sneaky plan that he's going to give a blessing only to Esau. And he ends up giving it to Jacob. 
Rebekah sets out to manipulate things for Jacob. And as a result, Jacob has to leave home for 20 years. She never sees him again. She dies before he comes back. This is the irony of it. They both lose for the deceit that they've propagated in their family. If you want to know a great way to mess up a family, keep secrets and shade the truth and learn how to manipulate people and learn how to pretend. The reality is this, everybody, everybody in life wrestles with this. Everybody wrestles with truth-telling. This is just the way it is. Um, some time ago, years ago with one of my kids, there was a problem. And I was sure one of my kids had done something wrong. You ever get this, parents? You know which one did it, but you have no smoking gun, right? You know that the, the, the evidence is overwhelming. It's all circumstantial though, right? And so there I am, you know, I'm this dad trying to figure out amongst my kids who did this. And I have definitely figured it out, but I haven't, the kid's not breaking. So I said, let's talk a little bit. Come here, let's talk a little bit. And we sit down and I'm doing my best, you know, defense attorney. So tell me, when the candy bar disappeared, where were you? You know, and, and, and finally my daughter goes, Daddy, do you, do you think I would lie to you? Do you think I would lie to you? Don't you trust me? You know, I wanted to say, oh, no, I know you don't lie. But I said, yeah. I mean, this is real life. You could lie to me. I can struggle sometimes. I can struggle with issues concerning deceit. I can struggle with that. I've got to be on guard like that. I said, look at your mom. She lies all the time, right? <laughs> that, was a, that was the easy one on the low ice. You know, yeah. Let me just uh, cross that out. Don't say that ever again. But I said, everyone struggles with deceit. Yes, you could lie to me. I love you. I love you and I love you and I love you. But I also understand you're a human being. You could lie to me. And she looked at me and said, because I did. <laughs> and I was like, I knew it. I knew it. Yes. You know, oh, no, I didn't, I didn't celebrate. Because, you know, I don't know. I, I, read, I read this. Uh, I didn't think about this for a long time. I read it a while back that the, the most famous story in American history on lying is a lie. The story of George Washington cutting down the cherry tree and saying that I, must, I cannot tell a lie, I cut down the cherry tree, was written by a guy named Parson Weems, like a hundred years after he died and he later admitted he made the story up. The most famous story about not lying is a lie. It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. So the, the truth is we all struggle with it. And so if we want a great family, we have to cling to the truth tenaciously. We have to speak it in love and we have to work on those things that are unhealthy dynamics like, like with this family, it has to be brought up. You know, think about how different things might have been for that family. If Isaac and Rebecca had had at least one conversation when Rebecca says, you favor Esau. And Isaac says, you favor Jacob. And then they decided, what's going on here? How can we change this? What might have happened? It's amazing to think. If they started thinking, how can I manage my emotions this way? How did I learn to give love this way with fluctuating feelings? Because it can be done. It can be done. Problems must be named and talked about. We can practice pain avoidance or we can decide to love people, even when it 
is difficult and it can hurt. But they let it go. They let the little things go and they became bigger and bigger and bigger. Because if you wait until the stakes are too high, if you wait till like incredible things are on the line, you will, you will lie. If you lie in the little things, it will, it, it just grows. If you're trying to avoid pain, and lying generally is people trying to avoid pain or shame, or they're trying to acquire something that's not, they don't deserve. That's generally how people, that's generally what happens when people are lying. They're avoiding pain. They're avoiding shame. They don't want, they don't want to be found out. And if you wait till the stakes are high and you do it in the little things, it will explode. You want to mess up your family, learn to hide, learn to pretend, learn to shade the truth. Third one, don't teach anger management. This is an important part of parenting, right? Don't teach anger management. This is so important. If you have a family where there's two or more kids, that has to be taught because it will come out. It will come up. And the anger and the conflict and the mismanaged resentment, these are huge themes right here. And so Esau's response to Isaac is the culmination of years of problem. Esau held a grudge against response to Jacob, I said. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his fathers had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. All right? This is what it's culminating to. And so what, is, what happens? Jacob has to run. He doesn't get everything the blessing entails because he has to run for his life. He doesn't get the land, he doesn't get the cattle, the sheep, the, you know, all, the, all this involved because he has to run for his life. There are no signs of these parents sitting their kids down and saying, this is acceptable and this is not. You know, when a kid first learns how to say no, and your child, you, I remember one of our kids, first time he said no, we were like, yes, he said a word, he said a word, uh-oh. This could be the beginning of a lot of problems, right? And so teaching them, there are certain no's that are acceptable. There are certain no's that are not acceptable, all right? If I say to you, like talking to my son, I, let, me have your, let me eat all your dessert, and you say no, that's an acceptable no. If I say it's time to go to bed and you say no, that's an unacceptable no. There are, there's acceptable and there's unacceptable. You need to teach anger management. We need to learn anger management. They need to learn that certain things can be said in certain times and not in others. We need that. Why? Because there will be a time when you'll want your child to say no. There will be a time when you want, when there's pressure to do certain things, you'll want a child who's strong enough to say no. No. So around two, that really gets bad with the no thing as they're talking. And then it kind of normalizes after a bit. And then a, a, a while later, the next spike is around the age of 13. Around the age of 13. Bodies are going nuts. Hormones are all over the place. Maybe 12, 13, wherever the age that is. You see your child and that cute little child suddenly has multiple personalities. And you're not sure which one will come out. You're not sure which voice is their voice. And it just takes patience. Now that goes for a while. And then it ends usually after about 30 or 40 years is how long that one lasts. So... There's no end in sight, parents. 
You want to build a great family, you ask God for wisdom in managing anger, and then you teach your children how to do it. You ask God to teach you how to manage your anger, and then you teach it to your children. Will they get mad at each other? Yes, they will. But there's certain areas that are out of bounds. We went over that over and over and over with our children. Certain things are out of bounds. Derek, you may not hit your younger brother. He's too little. He can't take it. Even if you think it's fun, it's not. Certain things like that. Affirm it when they get it right. I know you're upset, and I appreciate how you handled that. There will always be mistakes. I mean, I'm coming across like I, I know it all, and it's not true. But here's the cool thing. I mentioned it at the beginning. There will always be mistakes, but God is never out of the picture. Anything is possible when God is involved. And so what happens? Jacob begins to work. He works on Esau. He works on Jacob. Jacob has an encounter with God. Then he goes and he meets his uncle Laban and he works for him for 14 years and he's shown what it is to be on the receiving end of deception because his uncle deceives him. And suddenly Jacob sees it up close and personal. He goes to character school and so he decides the right thing to do is to go back to Esau. And so he's shown what it's like He's going to go back to that big, strong hunter who the last words he heard from was, I'm going to kill you. And so he does. And he begins to send, he sends messages. Now I'm sending a message to my Lord. That's Jacob sending it to Esau, that I may find favor in your eyes. He says, I'm, look, I want to make things right. And he sends gifts. He starts sending him cattle, it says, and lambs and goats and donkeys and bulls and a cat. No, there's no cat. No, <laughs> there's no cat there. Cats aren't in the Bible because <clears throat> God doesn't like them. All right. <laughs> Jacob became committed to resolving the problem. That was a free one, too. Just search. There's no kind word about cats in the Bible. All right. Jacob became committed to resolving the problem. And even he, he pays this restitution. He starts saying, look, I did you wrong. And then he goes and he meets him. There's a long story, but I'm just... And he, is, he himself went on ahead. He separated himself from his party and he walks up to Esau and he bowed to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Now, this is, this is the way of absolutely telling him. And, and if you, we, man, we, we went through this before about this whole idea of bowing, this whole idea of submitting. And you even see it sometimes if you watch um, some of these movies like with Camelot or, you know, knights in the round table, all this kind of stuff. If a, if a knight or a, a warrior is defeated, oftentimes what they'll come is, is they'll, they'll take a knee, they'll bow down, they'll put the sword. I should take the knee. Okay, I'll take a knee and they bow down and they put the sword down and then they bow their head. What is that? They say, I come open-handed, no arms, and I bow my neck to you. My neck is open to you. You can kill me this instant. And what is he doing? He's doing it seven times. I come with nothing, I come with nothing, I come with nothing. You have total control over me. And it's a way of saying I am absolutely, in a sense, repenting for what I did. And what does it say? And Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him, and he threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. What a beautiful picture of reconciliation. 
What a beautiful picture of what God can do in the most hopeless of situations. Right now, what is your situation? In the most hopeless situation, God can bring beauty. You may, be, you may be older and you're looking at a child or some children or all, whatever that are doing wrong, going astray, just not doing what you'd hoped for them. God is not out of the picture yet. You may be young and you've got parents that you work, worry about and you pray for. God's not out of the picture yet. He brought healing. God can heal the deepest wounds. I don't know how wounded you are, but God can heal the deepest wounds. God can change character. I don't know how messed up you are, but God can change you. God can rekindle love. God can cause us to change from the inside out. Jesus can do for us what we've never able to do for ourselves. And this family, these two brothers, they got a lot of things wrong. But they got one thing right. They decided to let God work. They reconciled, and they are brothers again. God can bring healing in any situation. Obviously, you know, it starts with that beginning of repentance, of accepting Christ as your Savior, allowing Him to work and yielding to Him. And then the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to work and change and grow and guide you. And you will see things happen you never thought would happen. And so as you leave here, I don't usually do this, but here's a little homework. Here's parents, husbands, wives. Be thinking, what does God want to do in my family? Maybe you're single. What does God want to do with me? Especially for parents, is there a favoritism issue? For all of us in our relationships, is there deceit that needs to be dealt with? Is there a conflict that needs to be resolved? Finally, for single parents, you have the hardest job in the world. And I just want you to say, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you come to our church, that we want to cheer you on and help you in any way we can. We're thankful that you're here to honor God in your life. And for you, it may be, it may be having a conversation with someone that you really trust and saying, do you think there's a favoritism issue? Do you think there's something that needs to be dealt with? Allowing somebody to come in and speak the hard words because that is what's the key here. No one ever decided to speak the hard words. They took the easy way out at every level. And God finally worked, but it took 20 years. It took 20 years. And their parents never saw it. Their parent, they, just, they never got the privilege and the honor of seeing these two boys reconcile and make their relationship right. So this is three things. Easy steps for ruining a family. Play favorites. Allow deceit in the home. And don't teach anger management. These are also three steps for ru ruining any kind of relationship. Any kind of relationship at all. These will do it. And so I encourage you to be thinking and praying about that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of these two, this family. And it's in some ways horrible to watch.
And yet you win in the end, God. And that is our hope. We know in the end you win. In all of these things. In the things we struggle with. and the things we worry about. and the things that grip us deeply in our soul. You win. And so we trust you, Lord. Help us to be the agents of change in people's lives as we share your word, as we share what you've done to us, how you've changed us. And as we share that with people, Lord, we see you work, your spirit takes it and uses it. And so, Father, help us to be found faithful servants in these difficult times. In Jesus' name, amen.